welcome to the Everything Theatre podcast, brought to you by Everything Theatre, a theatre review and interview website covering more than just London Fringe Theatre. Each week we'll bring you interviews with some of the best that Fringe Theatre has to offer. We'll talk to theatre makers about new shows, hear about the art of making the plays, talk about some of the wonderful venues you may never have heard of before. In short, we will chat Everything Theatre and what makes it tick. So let's dive straight in and hear what today's episode has to offer. Today I've got Andrew Helton and Sammy Samaria. They are working on a new play, or oh, it's not that new, but anyway, a play called Naughty, which is coming <laughs> to Hen and Chickens and then um, Salford, Hull and Cardiff following which we'll tell you about later um love to meet you both do you want to tell us about yourself introduce yourself and then we'll talk about the play um, Maria. um i'm part of pink milk theater um, i'm directing it this time a half of uh, pink milk theater uh, which we co-created after meeting at gsa um and yes this play naughty it's something that i wrote during lockdown and then uh i put it on at camden fringe last year as kind of a trial and now we're putting on kind of a more finished production of it this year where we're touring it uh, and I write and perform in it. And yeah, so you're doing what, six nights? I'm trying to count, count stuff in my head now. 27th to the 2nd of October and you're doing two performances on the Saturday, aren't you? So seven, eight, nine, yes, yeah, so six, seven performances over six days. Yeah. And then, there we and go. then from there. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about So give us a quick summary of what the play is about then. The play is, it's like a, a coming of age story, a queer coming of age story, but it's not like your uh, coming out tale. Like Andrew, the character is 16 and he's already out, but he's trying to basically figure out who he is within the the queer world. He's He's out, he's got a boyfriend, but he feels very naive. He's kind of struggling because he's, the relationship he's in is very bumpy as well. And it's about him trying to figure out what being gay actually means socially. Like what, and he makes um, a friend with uh, someone older than him. And it's, it's about kind of queer role models and queer mentors and how sometimes the dynamic can become slightly unsafe if proper precautions aren't taken Sammy? <laughs> I think that's a good way to describe it there's a lot about power dynamics mm-hmm. and um, just being a vulnerable queer youth and it's not a coming out story because Andrew's already out in the mm-hmm. play and it's more about trying to find themselves within the community Sorry, I was just going to say, uh, he does have quite a lot of gay shame as well. He's out, but he may not necessarily have found his pride yet. Let's talk about, so he done Camden Fringe last, yeah, 2021. So he was at Camden, the show done, what, three or four nights at Camden Fringe, etc. Mm-hmm. And then, um, did, and you got some, I mean, I've seen some really good reviews from there. How important was that run to convince you that this show was worth sort of working on and taking further? It was definitely a nice kind of affirmation. Um, I always knew that I wanted to do it beyond Camden Fringe just because the kind of themes and the, you know, what it's about and kind of 
not having a lot of queer connections, for example, and was going up in Hull, I always knew that I wanted that to go beyond London because I feel like whilst, you know, the, the themes are universal, London in itself is quite a queer area. Um, and so it's always been an aspiration to take it beyond, to tour it. And I think the reviews from last time and the positive reception just made it feel even more real. I thought, you know, I'm going to just make that jump and I'm already going to start trying to take it elsewhere. Um, and this is kind of like a, I call it like a mini tour, I guess. It's like four <laughs> locations, but I want I want to just keep building that. I want to keep taking it to more rural areas in the future. And so was you involved last year as well, Sammy, or have you come on board since its first run? Uh, yeah, so Pink Milk Theatre was actually born from us knowing each other at GSA and kind of naughty us two working on it together. Last year, I was more on the marketing side and I did help a little bit with direction, but you, it was more you had extra sets of eyes just looking at what you were doing, mm-hmm. whereas this year I'm directing it outright. So yeah, last year was we kind of both saw it grow from nothing to what it became at the fringe and then the reviews came in and it was amazing to see that it actually had made an impact and it's such an important story to tell i mean that's that's quite interesting actually so as a new director have you come in and ch- or, you know even though you saw it last year have you come in and changed a lot or have you just built on what was there from last year um i think a mixture of both so like we built on what was there from last year we kind of used it as a skeleton because it was very base but there are some things that we've completely changed. So like there are, there's a lot of multi-rolling in the show and there are some characters we've completely reworked because, you know, we, we looked at what we did last year with it and it's, it was kind of like, Oh, okay. Well, if, if that was, that was a B grade of that character, let's, let's bring it up to a, let's really bring that character through and movement as well. And yeah, there's so much more movement in the piece now as compared to last year, it was very static, which, we don't want again we want there to be a lot of movement in the piece so i think having the outside eye of me is helping really bring the piece to life more as i say so i mean from the camden fringe run then i mean was that was that his first outing last year at camden fringe yes i guess to the public it was originally conceived when i was doing my final year at gsa and you have to do um, the project was kind of like a solo piece and it was a lot smaller it was like 20 minutes long and because of the pandemic I had to do it as a short film and then the following year I was like I I want to take that further so I I had the idea from the film but I just completely rewrote the script starting from scratch and I made the Camden Fringe version and then funnily enough when I came back to touring it this time this summer I I had certain bits that I definitely wanted to keep but I kind of wanted to change the flow of it slightly. So I, again, did quite a few rewrites for this version, which meant that we had to re um, rehire, rework with uh, Chris Sherwood, who is the voice of Kevin. We did a new session with him mm-hmm. because we just couldn't use what we had last time. It was too different. Cool. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Cause, I mean, a lot of shows have that voiceover, and I hadn't thought about it. you have to rework that if you um, change the play drastically. It's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's quite interesting, isn't it? Is this now the final version? Is is this, are you satisfied this is now the version that you think is pretty much set in stone? Or do you think you might have this run of thing, actually, I can temper, I can change that, I can change this? 
<laughs> I think this is, yeah, this is the final version for now. There'll always be tiny tweaks because being the writer and the performer, I'll just be saying something and then I'll think, no, no, that, that line could actually just come out a mm -hmm. bit more like this. So there's always going to be tiny tweaks, but I think maybe at some point in the future, I would try and do it as a more 90 minute piece because there's there's so much still that I could put in, but because I'm very much in the mindset that I want to like be taking it places and touring it, I think just the 60 minute parcel for now is the right vehicle. Mm -hmm. I think when you're a performer writer, your piece is never really done. <laughs> I think that's just part of being a performer writer. Yeah, it's from a directing point of view, does that is that frustrating that you yeah you you've worked on sort of like this we're gonna do it this way this way and then it's like come back for rewrite? Not really, because we end up doing a lot of the rewriting whilst we're working out the piece. And I the way I work is I like to feel things out, and if if something comes up and it's like that clearly didn't work, or Andrew says a line differently, and we're just like, wow, that has so much more impact. Mm. Um, I kind of enjoy it. The only pain is the fact that my script is now scribbled to death. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the worst part of being the director is making sure that the script is kept up to date with all my notes and all that stuff. I'm just like, oh my goodness, is this readable? <laughs> that's why you print it double spacing though, isn't it? So you can write in all the gaps. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, let's go back to so the play itself. Now your central character is Andrew and Andrew wants to be an actor. How how much is this based on your sort of teenage years then, Andrew? Um, there are definite, definite elements of personal experience. So I have kind of my own story, you know, to do with a grooming situation, um, which influenced the show a lot. But it's it's interesting how I've talked about my own experiences with quite a few people and other queer individuals. And it's a thing that is actually quite universal with quite a lot of people I've talked to. So the show itself does pull from quite a few different threads of thought. I've definitely been inspired by what other people have said and been like, oh, that specific thing, that is something that, oh, seems to be a common thing. And that has helped inform the piece a lot. So I guess the grooming narrative is less specific to me but then i've peppered lots of my own life in to kind of create the world of the piece and andrew so you was it sort of your start your your real life experience is the start point and then you've grown you've built from there yeah yes yeah so let's talk about those themes then because i say because We've talked, you've talked about, um, you, you meant, uh, I think you called it gay shame, didn't you, as well, which is a new phrase on me. Um, <laughs> but there's grooming as well. Grooming a common issue in society? Is it something you think is common in society? Is it more common within the gay community or is it? I don't. I wouldn't feel qualified to comment whether it's more <laughs> or less common within the gay community. I just know that. I, there are people I've definitely talked to, other queer people, because, and it, it seems, something that has got me is when I'll talk about my experience or the show, and someone will just go, oh yeah, same. Just like, so casually. And I'm like, but how? How has it become so casual that everyone's kind of got one of these stories? 
Um, and why why is it so normalized? And I think part of it is just, I mean, because obviously like Section 28 was only repealed in like 2003. When I was six, like it was only just like legalized that you could promote homosexuality. And it took a long time for that to kind of fade away. And like, and I think just, yeah, within the queer community, there's always going to be people, young people looking for kind of support or a guide in some way and something sorry in the inheritance of play that I saw years ago they said something which I adored which is the fact that a lot of cultures I guess are passed down generationally whereas there is no guarantee that parents are going like you're going to have queer parents if you're a queer kid like it's it's not something that is mm -hmm. familial or generational like that so you have to kind of go out and find your own like chosen family and community and I guess you've got to be careful sometimes who you put your trust in. Like, Yeah. And I think it's important to just reiterate, like, we're not experts. We're bringing this show to to the masses because we want to highlight the problem um, that is surrounding it. But also we've actually spoken to charities as well because we, we wanted to speak to experts about this. And mm -hmm. one thing that came up that was really interesting was the idea of not focusing on the groomer and focusing on the 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 kid that is being groomed or whatever and especially when it comes to queer kids they don't really find role models in many people because it's it's harder to find queer role models it's getting easier today because we see it more on tv and whatnot but it is a lot harder and finding it in those maybe authority figures is just maybe more common because that's where they're looking for it You've talked about um, you speak to, you know as you speak to people you're surprised how many people say they've had similar sorts of thought, you know experiences and that. Do you think it's more a case of we're now just more open to discuss this and we understand it better from sort of and and theatre is quite often at the forefront of that in that you know plays like yours make it a conversational piece which brings it to the fore. I think that's definitely an element. I know that it sounds like a cliche, but so many people started talking about stuff like this after Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You, mm -hmm. which, you know, is is a different vein because that show is about sexual assault and this is more about, uh, my show is like a cyber grooming situation. But that was one of the things that got me talking. Uh, Tammy was there right at the start when I conceived the idea of Naughty because it obviously... As I said, there are some personal experiences that inspired it. And I was just I was just reflecting on certain things from, from teenage years. And Sammy pointed out, oh, that's I don't think that is normal. And so yeah, when you see things and you start thinking about your life and yeah, mm -hmm. I think seeing things on stage, on screen, definitely starts conversations. And it's good that we'll be we're talking about things more openly now do you think there's a risk and so I've, some, I've talked about this with a lot of people though we're in a very theater bubble aren't we and you mentioned about especially in london you know the you know mm -hmm. queer theater is is common you know i i get invited to you know to, to so many shows and a good percentage is what we class as queer theater nowadays do you think there's a risk we we live in this strange little bubble and we you know we think what we're 
this is normal now, you know, that it is normal, you know, that we can talk about this more normally, whereas outside our bubble, it's still almost a taboo subject. I think that we do live in a bubble because the queer theatre is a bubble within itself. The queer community is a bubble. You've got your Twitter bubbles. You've got all these kind of bubbles where you think the world is a lot bigger than it actually is. And I think that's why putting on shows like this and just targeting audiences, like Andrew said, wanting to go to more rural areas is good because you're bursting outside of that bubble to bring the show to other people and they will take what they take from the show. But that's what we're doing with the show is getting that message out there further away from the bubble that understands it more. All right. And you all talk, I think, um, sort of similar theme here. You you talk about a lack of mentorship for queer youth is sort of one of sort of themes in the play is that changing again if, if you think have you noticed a change in that from when you were younger or again do you think it's still so we definitely need to talk about it a lot more i mean i definitely think we can talk about it more i do think things are changing i mean you hope things are changing mm. just in the way that i see younger people being more proud and open like already at a younger age i remember it took me so long like as i said earlier with with uh gay shame i so i i something that i say in the show um is that when i came out it took a while to realize that i was i was accepting a lot of people tolerating me for being gay i thought i still thought that there was something kind of negative and i was like oh thank goodness this person like is happy to still be around me like th- that's tolerance it's not acceptance and I think mm-hmm. so. Um, and I think there is. I think accept, acceptance is wider spread now, but it's it's yeah. still never going to be all the way there. Like we're living in a good time in terms of better than what it was when we were younger, because there's more out there. There's more openness. There's more role models in the, like celebrity culture. Um, you can get access to that easier because we have things like uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram where these like ROM models post their lives all the time and they're living out and proud and they're fighting for these causes. But again, I think it comes back to being in a bubble. You know, there are some places where they are nowhere near the level of open and allowing their children to be out and proud as we are. We live in a very comfortable bubble where kids can be open and out and proud. And even within our country, there are places where some kids would probably be too scared to be out and probably won't, wouldn't even be tolerated. And I think um, you, you touched on like celebrities and stuff who are out and proud and I think something that I wanted to try and access with the show, though, is that there's with like mentors and role models, it's yes, it's great to see things like on a wider level, like, oh, there's a gay celebrity who's out and proud, but people need local role models and mentors, people who are there for day to day like events and someone who. Like if you are having an issue in your own life, which, you know, it could feel big or small, but you, everyone needs someone to go to. And the thing is, those celebrities aren't going to give mm-hmm. that personal one-to-one validation or guidance. And I think that's why I then go into like in different areas, there is, you know, sometimes there's more kind of 
queer activity going on sometimes there's not and there is always going to be someone who feels like they don't have that person to go to and could then you know turn turn to a, a situation that's not healthy there is and i think that yeah there's a thing about having relatable role models isn't there and your celebrities sometimes aren't quite relatable because they live in a different world to us yeah, yeah. But I think, so it's about it's important it's important to have and we'll talk about it's a lot with theater being able to see yourself portrayed on stage and you know so your character has to be quite normal and down to earth so that you know the audience can relate it's a solo performance was you ever tempted to bring it because obviously as this changed from last year would you ever tempted to bring in a second actor, someone to remove some of the voiceovers and that? No, that's that's never something that I considered, actually. Very originally, when I did it at GSA, I actually had more people doing more voices. So, for example, the boyfriend, Jake, and one of the teachers, Lucy, I had more people doing voices, but then I kind of cut it down and I wanted it to be me creating the world myself with multi-rolling and but i just i wanted the something about me doing the the voice of the victim and the groomer didn't sit right i never wanted to do kevin's part i wanted that to be a separate thing and and i think also in hindsight with the past couple of years i think the show works really well in in the way that it it isolates Andrew, like Andrew is alone on the stage and the only interaction is Kevin, this kind of faceless voice who is only present through texts. And I think that links a lot to, um, you know, a lot of people will have had their kind of queer coming out realization in lockdown with, with no support network apart from a digital presence. And so there's kind of like a parallel there. It, it will resonate with some people who could only have cyber interactions. Yeah. It, it just, it's always been a one person show. Yeah. <laughs> and from a directing point of view, ne never, would you never attempt to try and convince him otherwise? <laughs> no, because like, like Andrew said is, well, with the voiceover, I kind of treat the voiceover as having another actor because what Chris does is, phenomenal i remember when we originally auditioned for that part and chris's audition came through and it was just like well we found him <laughs> we we found exactly who's going to be playing the part and there's something sinister about having just the voice and not the face and like andrew said there's the technological side of it the fact that you don't get a face with this voice it is just texts it's just a voice that's there really adds to the play and adds to what a lot of kids go through when um, they are finding their own way. Because when I was younger, I found a lot of culture online and that's not the dirty way. I found a lot of chat rooms and stuff where I would find other queer people and be like, what does this mean? And stuff like that. And you have these voices that have no faces sometimes not even a voice it's just text that pops up and a very weird username and that becomes your your queer community whilst you're younger i'm i hope that today is different that there's a lot more openness with young people finding their queer community but again with lockdown 
we couldn't they they couldn't do that in fact people coming out at later ages couldn't even go out and find their their people because we were all locked up and it was all digital again i just hope it's safer these days than it was when i was younger and it was these dirty little chat rooms where <laughs> people would come and you wouldn't know how old the person was or or stuff like that but that's where you almost felt safe so we're well, coming back to bringing other people in I think the play does a really good job of recreating what it was like back then and having that that uncertainty around who you're actually talking to you've talked about we've got voiceover you've got video projection for text messaging um how do you have to think very differently when you're directing to use those extra sort of you know the multimedia yeah so it's it it adds a new challenge because theatre is usually very spontaneous very in the moment when you have pre-recorded stuff you can't tell the recording to do it differently <laughs> the recording is set in stone which is why when we had the session I made sure to get Chris doing it in different ways until we were happy with more than one way that Chris did a line so we could play with that and Andrew could then have something to play with when it comes to actually doing it in rehearsals like we are today. It is interesting having just one solid line that Chris does in a certain way to play with because it, I, I wouldn't say it limits how Andrew can react, but it definitely brings a certain kind of direction that you have to go with if if a line comes out a really specific way from the voiceover part, Andrew can't react in every way under the sun and then have Chris react differently. So it does it does add a level of complexity. And the other thing is, is with the projections, you've got to play with the space because you don't want Andrew running to the back of the stage and next thing you know, you can't read the projections because they're over Andrew's face, um, which kind of defeats the point of them being there. So there is that element as well, making sure that Andrew's not blocking the projector and then when it comes to the multi-rolling, I think that's where I've been having the most fun with the directing because we've really done a lot of character work and really defining who these other characters are and how distinct they are when Andrew is doing really fast multi-rolling between some characters that are vastly different people. And it's really interesting to find the nuances of the characters, be it a simple hand gesture that one character does and how how a character holds themselves and how Andrew can drop out of that instantly into another character which holds himself in such a different way. I think there is something, isn't there, about multi-rolling. Um, it's, it's an incredible, when it's done well, to see a performer mm. transform in front of you from one person to the other. And as you say, it's about the manneris, you know, the special mannerisms and yeah the body language isn't it yeah yeah it's that and the voice and just the facial expressions they're like we're going into quite a lot of detail with it because we want it to really we want a the characters to be distinct and show but also we want these characters to be fully fleshed out and not just oh we we have a main character and then we have these very side characters that are just husks of a of a human being we want them to be actually thought out and fleshed out mm -hmm. Yeah, I know it's, and you know it's it from watching it, don't you? I I know when I, if I watch a one person show, and you you know when they're thought about the other characters well, or when they're just literally there to roll the plot along, and you can tell the difference when you're watching it. 
we haven't mentioned the comedic side of this. So this is it's billed as is it is it's not billed as a comedy. Is it billed as a comedy? What's your actual phrasing on that? I think I say it's a dark comedy. Dark comedy. That might be it. Yeah. <laughs> dark um, comedy. How easy is it to merge the two? How um how how do you avoid not making it so funny we miss the seriousness of the subjects? I don't think anyone's ever going to miss the serious bits. Like, yeah. they are there. And I think when I was originally developing it at GSA, uh, my mentor was very big on you have to let the audience breathe. You have to, like, you have to make sure the flow isn't just trauma, trauma, trauma. And it's 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 quite good because I, I like being playful and I like having fun in the space. So honestly, I... I describe like the first opening minutes as almost like stand up. I'm having so much. Fun. It's a very self aware piece, and and Andrew also makes fun of the situation quite a lot of the time. And then it and it will always like. I remember something I liked from one of the reviews was that it Andrew Andrew has found himself by the end, and you can tell. And it's very much like as. They said it was like a story of survival and a celebration of self. Like mm. by the end of it, Andrew is a lot stronger because you have like adult Andrew and younger Andrew who is in themselves a, a character, the younger Andrew. And it it's not something that you will walk out of feeling really sad. There are moments in it that will hit you hard, mm. I think, but it doesn't end on a really low note. No, and I think going back to like bringing the comedy in, it's it's interesting how you can do that not just with comedic lines, like with the physicality and stuff like that and the characterizations of the other characters, you know. The, the, it can be a horrible, horrible character, but you can make them funny and you can make them relatable in in a in a comedic way but you can still get the message across of maybe this character isn't the best person or maybe this character has issues here and there. I think it's really, it's been really interesting to play with that and especially play with your physicality and how comedy can be very physical and not just be in a joke. I mean, but even the title naughty has a, that that word alone had it, it it's a it's almost a funny word isn't it i think naughty is it's not a ser- it's not a serious word you can use it's a very playful word i always think okay let's just so to round things up let's so why should we come and see this play when it plays at the hen and chickens at the end of the month then what what is it that makes this play one we must come and see i think it's important for everyone to see because it's talking about something that isn't addressed properly in society and that's whether you are queer and can relate to it if you are kind of uh a parent and you know if your child could be queer and you're going to see wow these are things that my child might be going through that i've never even thought of um there's i think there's relatability in all of it my mum personally loves it because i impersonate her at one point and (laughs) she thinks that's hilarious um and it it is a celebration of queerness in the at the end of the day it's it it is funny and it is sad at the same time and it it really does strike a balance and it's also told in a way that i think is quite unique with the text and the projections it's it's not just a, a standard 
one person show with multi-rolling i'm gonna have multi-rolling but it's it's an experience i think mm-hmm. i think it's it's an important story to tell and it's told in a way that is funny yeah. and relatable and queer stories are always important and yes we live in a bubble where there are a lot of queer stories and a lot of queer theater going on but i don't think that's a bad thing and i think if we can tap more into the market of people outside of our bubbles and get them to come in and understand these stories and see the importance behind them because another thing that this show is doing is just raising awareness to an important issue that you know there are charities that are Mm -hmm. built on these issues which says a lot about the issue itself and if we can bring awareness to it through our darkly comic show i mean that's that's what we're trying to do yeah i mean as always we said i mean so many people i chat to sort of sort of say if you know if you can help one person the show's a success yeah i mean that's quite a common thing i have people say Thank you, um, Sammy, Andrew. It's been an absolute pleasure. As I say, just a reminder, this is the Naughty, which comes to the Hen and Chickens, 27th of September to the 2nd of October, and then Salford, Sal- Salford, Salford, Hull and Cardiff in October. All the dates and links we'll put up on the website shortly. Thank you so much for your time. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks so much for listening. Please check out our website at everything-theatre.co.uk where you can find reviews and past interviews that we've done. And please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes where we'll be talking to more of the amazing people who make theatre the wonderful place it is. This has been Everything Theatre. We hope you enjoyed. <laughs>